0: So what are your first uh, obs- observations in terms of what we are seeing and the projections that we are hearing?
1: Well, as I said to you yesterday, Sakina, um, from the morning, um, I was expecting a low voter turnout for, for the reasons I stated, but but the turnout for me is not a very interesting figure. The the interesting figure for me is the participation rate. That is the number of those who did turn up to vote. Um, as a proportion of the number of South Africans who are eligible to vote. And therefore, if you look at the participation rate, it will be much lower than the voter turnout. And that tells a more disturbing story than the voter turnout. It tells a story about the extent of disengagement by citizens from electoral processes, but maybe also uh, from uh, the Democratic project.
0: Mm. Uh, Professor um, uh, Schulz-Hurzenberg, I mean, you do the number crunching as well on these matters, but uh, looking particularly at something like the voter turnout. Mm -hmm. uh, And uh, by the way, many people have written saying, congratulations, you got it spot on with the turnout being low. Uh, But in terms of what you're seeing, Professor, uh, just with regard to crunching those numbers and and, and analyzing what the patterns are, the underlying reasons, for example, what are we seeing?
2: Yes, I mean, I think Aubrey's spot on. What we've seen is what we some of us expected to see, which is an ongoing shedding of participation in our eligible electorate. And, you know, I've been pushing this message for years now that we need to consider our electorate um, in terms of all eligible voters. And when you look at the voting age population, I have a, a nasty suspicion that we're looking at about 30 35% of all voters actually participating yesterday. Why? Well, I think there are a number of reasons, as we discussed earlier. I think... Um, young people are making up a bigger and bigger proportion of our electorates and they historically don't vote globally for a lot of reasons but because they are such a numerical majority in our country they are suppressing the aggregate turnout rate if we look at it from a VAP voting age population perspective they're just having that numerical impact they're depressing aggregate turnout but alongside that is probably a far more Uh, disturbing story, and I think this is what Aubrey's getting to. We have widespread disengagement. We're seeing people who once participated now drawing away from elections. In other words, they are abstaining into the non-voter group. And for me, the big question is why? Why are we rather abstaining than choosing other political parties and staying in the electoral process? If you look at public opinion surveys over the last 15 years, it seems to me that we have two things happening a smaller proportion are willing to uh, engage and shift and show their discontent with former political homes a much bigger proportion are not they are abstaining and there seems to be a connection to the way they regard democracy and its institutions as well a negative effect is transpiring there so overall I think um, years and years of discontentment probably with uh, delivery on the ground has transpired into distrust with political parties which is now sort of seeping upwards into distrust with representative institutions and processes. And and it is a very worrying picture
0: because, um, as you say, if the electorate is not engaging if in a youthful country with uh, the majority of the population being young people uh, they are not engaging with uh, the political processes and political parties w- uh, am i correct by the way by saying they're not colli- uh, con- uh, they're not
2: engaging in the political processes professor Yes, well, there's different ways to engage in the political process. Of course, elections are just one conventional way. There are other ways. Mm. You will see a lot of online protest activity amongst young people. That's actually a little bit higher than older people. But the point is, elections are a very special mechanism to hold people accountable. And you can't do that through in-between election protest. And so they are missing a vital opportunity for actually being able to step in and change politics, change The distribution of political power and i think i think that's where we're falling short and perhaps just to add and i know aubrey would want to add here that this is going to get worse we need to sort of step in and and uh, rethink how we engage with politics in south africa if we want to arrest this constant uh, depression and turnout because young people are getting older and they will take that habit of not voting with them into their 30s and 40s as younger people replace them increasingly with that habit of not voting. So we're not out of the woods here. Mm. Aubrey?
1: Well, think of it this way, Sakina. Think think of our democracy as a car, a car with uh, four wheels. And there is an an over-reliance in our democracy uh, on elections as an instrument for change. Which means if you think of of, of our democracy as a car, you are relying on only one wheel and and you think this car can take you to the desired destination on the basis of one wheel so there are more than one instrument available to the citizen to engage politically with the aim of effecting change in their lived reality and we seem to be saying that elections are the only way in which the 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 citizen can effect change in their reality and that's not true so available to the citizens means other than elections
0: what are those uh, to,
1: to, to engage I'll give you I'll give you examples were it not for the uh, the action of the say the TAC uh, supported by others in civil society we, we would s- still be dealing with a very bad ARV policy um, were it not uh, citizen action um, supporting a demand to remove former president, Uh, Jacob Zuma, the ANC would not have removed him as as, as president of uh, the country. They did so because the level of antipathy, as demonstrated through action by the citizen, forced the ANC to realize that the 2019 elections would be a disaster, which means what we must free ourselves from, and this is a problem that is as old as liberal democracy uh, itself, the idea that political action Outside the formal realm of politics is deviant political behavior.
0: Mm. So, very interesting pictures emerging, and I know uh, Lungile showing me we need to go to a spot break. I'm telling you this just to show you the pressure we're under and <laughs> trying to squeeze all of what we can into as little time as possible. Uh, we'll go there in a moment, Lungile. Uh, just... You know, to look at what's happening, some of the pictures emerging. So before the two of you came in, we were just looking at the projections uh, for the metros in particular. But if we take a province, for example, like the Western Cape, and the DA, I would imagine, would have expected to do much better, to have a much firmer grip on that particular province. And Aubrey says, but, But but, uh, did you expect them to slip in the way that they are?
1: The DA is in deep trouble. Has been in deep trouble for at least the past um, five years.
0: But does the DA know that?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which is why so I say, <laughs> <laughs> did they expect? To, uh, do they know that they are in trouble?
1: <laughs> so, 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 so here's the thing. I don't know how much time we have, <laughs> because I'm <laughs> tempted to take you back to 1999 <laughs> to understand the series of re-envisioning exercises the DA did, mm-hmm. culminating in Helen Ziller realizing um, that they've hit a ceiling and to break through the ceiling the DA needs to grow its black membership mm. and black support we from, that. from black voters yep. now that came with the problem the blackening of the DA caused internal reactions because conservative elements within the DA disagreed with this blackening but also then what happened the DA moved too much to the left for conservatives within its uh, constituency. To now if you remember, you also had a twist between Tienz elof who at one point was the leader of uh, the, the DA in the Western Cape. Mm-hmm. Now p- people in the DA, uh, particularly the English Procs, assumed that this was a twist with an individual and they forgot the Africans and Africana constituency r- he represented and they've lost that Africans, Africana constituency to the, to the Freedom Front Plus.
0: And we are seeing the Freedom Front Plus growing, uh, you know, astronomically, as it were.
2: Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I think right now the Democratic Alliance are facing um, big decisions again. I remember saying this in 2014 and again in 2019. They need to have clear optics for the electorate. Voters look at the DA and they don't know who the DA represent. And because they don't know who the DA represent, they don't know what the DA represent. South African voters connect the two. Who do you represent? I get a good idea of what you're going to do in power. So for me, I think the DAF shed its conservative side to the Freedom Front Plus, who seem to be mopping up very well today. Mm. But at the same time, they lost something quite magical that they'd pulled in in 2016, which was the black middle class a number of votes coming from there. So that blackness that Aubrey's talking about has suddenly become a very uncertain constituency Mm -hmm. again and has backed off. And unfortunately for the DA, if it really wants to position itself as a government-in-waiting, the biggest opposition party in this government is going to have to make some very difficult choices. Let's
0: talk about those choices. What, who does the DA have to get rid of in order to put itself on a new trajectory and a growth path?
1: I can tell you now (laughs) that the, the, the first thing they they, they, they will do at their next federal congress is to uh, is, is to elect a new leader um as far as i'm con- uh, concerned so john, john Stein, is gone john Stein is on uh, his toast because his limitations have shone through quite badly and i don't see him surviving uh, this election but and remember the next federal congress if i calculate correctly should take place in 2024 which is the same year of the next general election, they're not going to take that chance. But with with, Helen Ziller
0: looming so large over the Democratic Alliance, Uh, Let me just remind you, or if you've just joined us, just uh, doing some analysis on what's happening and looking at some of the numbers. Uh, We started by taking a look at the projections for the metros and now uh, just basically analyzing some of those numbers and also a bit more broadly speaking, uh, what are some of the ideological and other implications for some of the political parties and currently speaking about the Democratic Alliance who, along with the ANC, are taking a beating here as far as Uh, the results that have come through to this point and in conversation uh, with Goko Obri Machitri, and of course um, Professor Colette uh, Schulz Herzlberg so the question was at the point where we took the break, the DA and Helen Ziller, with Helen Ziller this is my question, looming so large over the DA prof who can possibly come in and and take charge, take control of this party, and do what they think needs to be done to get it back on a growth path.
2: I think I I slightly disagree with Aubrey, although it makes perfect sense to imagine that there's going to be a leadership change forthcoming in the DA, but I I somewhat disagree in the sense that there's such a strong hold over the DA caucus right now from a sort of quite a conservative liberal stance, and, and it makes me wonder if there's room for change, actually or if in fact this election is going to be the pivot that perhaps tempts the DA to accept that it's become a party as an opposition with a large sort of minority vote share and it can sort of live with that because the other route out of this is to then once again go that road that we had to walk in 2016 with a leader like Musi Mahmani looking to again blacken this party to find a more sort of social democratic route out of a liberal malaise and those are difficult conversations to have. it may almost be easier to accept the inevitable right mm. now with a strong conservative liberal caucus within the ANC. And having shed so many um, sort of prominent black South African leaders in the party, it's going to be difficult to pinpoint well who next, mm. where to from here.
1: No, Colette was doing so well, agreeing with everything I was saying until <laughs> now. <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, look, um, it depends on what the DA wants to do, whether they still want to be the ruling party of South Africa one day. And my response to that is that they don't have to be the ruling party of South Africa because to the extent that at their core is an English-speaking white middle class, the interests of uh, that uh, English-speaking white middle class are being taken care of very well by the ANC. So they don't have to be um, a ruling party. But if they still want to be um, a ruling party, John DNA is toast, in yes. my view. Mm. Uh, but if they don't, they accept, uh, like the EFF, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the Freedom Front Class uh, has done. The Freedom Front Class has no illusions uh, about what it can become. It is content with what it, it can become and is prepared to grow only within what it can become. The DA, on, on the other hand, can decide, well, Our interests are better taken care of by this ANC that has acted very well in our in the interest of our constituency but this is an ANC that contrary to my previous projections may fall below 50% as early as 2024 in each case it is not a useful uh, vehicle for for the DA then the DA must then have a serious conversation about whether it replaces uh, John Steen and and if it does who's available like Colette I struggle to see um, who they can they can go for
0: so uh, slippery slope there in the Western Cape overall it would seem at least uh, by what we're seeing at this point uh, the Patriotic Alliance uh, making a good showing at the moment in the Western Cape and um, that is interesting as well because an otherwise colored vote that the DA would have depended on in the Western Cape is also slipping.
2: I think um, perhaps just veering slightly off you know, the topic of the DA, but what's also very interesting in this election is vote shifting. Yes, many, many more people have abstained and we can have a, a somewhat separate conversation about that, but there's lots of evidence on this board behind us of people shifting their votes across parties. And again, it goes against all that kind of traditional, conventional understanding we have of South African voters. They stay with their party loyally. You know, they, they don't, they're impervious to performance. Um, absolute nonsense. People are shifting their support across parties. We see it in Action Essays. Um, growing support um, as we're watching it now on the board. And these are voters trying to... Um, find new political homes because they've um, become somewhat disillusioned with their previous political home but they're not yet willing to dive out of the political system and for me these voters are the crucial voters because they're creating uncertainty in the political system which is good for democracy it's keeping politicians on their toes and it, it's it's actually um it's breaking down the, the the sort of the dominance of the bigger parties and we, we need that we we need the ANC to to have his hegemonic, um, you know, hegemony stripped. So these vote shifters are incredibly important voters in our system and we need to look more closely at what's motivating them to do this, to stay in the game, um, to continue to support participatory democracy. um, And so I think, you know, our focus should definitely be on that as well. Mm. So going back to what's happening in front of us. So
0: you've got the Freedom Front Plus, they are the big, big winners, and I don't think that's going to change. They will be the biggest winners overall. And we saw this in the 2019 um, a general election as well. We saw uh, the Freedom Front Plus suddenly just uh, shooting up. Is it sudden, though, uh, Professor? Or uh, I- is this directly attributable to what's happening in the DA, or is there something more at play here?
2: I think it's what Aubrey said, the Freedom From Plus um, don't mince their words, they know their constituencies, they have a very clear message about what they represent and who they represent. The moment that's clarified for a voter, it's actually quite easy to link yourself. So they've actually got their campaign message spot on, it's got a lot to do with ha- with you know the discussion we've just had about what's happening in the DA, that fuzziness about their sort of ideological coherence, it's pushing people who are more conservative away from the DA. And I think, um, yeah, the Freedom Front Plus are here to stay for quite some time. And they're going to sort of bury into those small constituencies and find important roles for themselves across these Mm. municipalities. Very interesting,
0: Aubrey, if you uh, would like to latch onto that. And also, if you will, factor in what's happening with the EFF. Mm. Um, They are growing, perhaps not as much as people would imagine they will, uh, but all the same there is steady growth
1: there well th- there's a conundrum the eff has not been able to solve that with each election we see growth but with that growth also we've seen underperformance and and and, and this election we see the same thing why are we are they will underperforming? see some i I, I think uh, voters across the the, the spectrum if you talk about to the extent that you can talk about black politics. Black people generally like what the EFF is saying but are not confident it is ready to govern. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's one of the reasons. But th- th- the EFF can also be a, a bit on the abrasive side. And and I think um, that is another element which makes it underperform while it, it is growing. But if you look at the freedom front class, yes, they are growing from a low base, um, but the growth is impref- impressive, given their goals, which are not very uh, ambitious. They've, they have a set of interests to protect, and they are going to do it within the kind of growth they are able uh, to achieve. But this an adjustment uh, an adjustment they have made, and that is why the pa- Patriotic Alliance is interesting for me. You've seen the Freedom Front last talking about not just white africans but talking about that the party is a home for all African-speaking people. So another thing we need to measure in this election is the extent to which uh, it it was seen as a home for all African-speaking people. So I think in relation to that goal, they underperformed.
0: Very, very interesting. But we can't end this conversation without talking about the ANC. And... uh, it's gradual but rather spectacular slide from grace uh, because we're talking really huge percentage point drops for the ANC. Um, professor, you can take the first bite at this one.
2: Yes, I think we need to see what happens in the metros before we, we can really cast any opinions. But um, right now, you know, the CSIR have very bravely and put out their predictions and, you know, they, they normally get it pretty close, right? And uh, let's just say that it's, it's a good thing that the ANC aren't in a national election right now because I don't think they're going to reach the 50% plus one mark overall. Of course, I understand it's a municipal election, but they're just not going to reach 50%. And I think the ANC need to prepare themselves across municipalities and particularly in the metros to play an instrumental role in coalitions, but perhaps in coalitions where they're not dominant. Mm. And this is going to be the shift that they're going to have to make at the governance level at municipality. And this is really a harbinger, I think, of what we're looking at in a few years' time when we go into national elections.
0: Which is very interesting because, as we saw, Uh, from the 2016 local government elections in metros such as Tswane, such as uh, the city of Johannesburg, even Ekuruleni. Ekuruleni, though, interestingly, was quite stable. The ANC was able to hold it together, that coalition in Ekuruleni. Not so in Johannesburg, not so in Tswane, just looking at the Gauteng picture. So if we take a look at those um, coalition talks now for the ANC, given that they have lost even more ground within uh, uh, they've lost and and the projections are they will um lose more Uh, if we take that scenario aubrey where does it leave the anc in the major metros in this country
1: well my prediction um, was that the anc would be able to win an outright majority in buffalo city and it you
0: were correct in buffalo city but
1: i don't think i'm correct about it yes um so I think what will ultimately happen is that possibly the ANC will hold on to Buffalo City but will not be able to win an outright majority elsewhere as far as the, the other seven metros are concerned. When you look at Johannesburg and Egurulele, the two are interesting because we, we have not talked enough about mm. Um Because they, they may get between 9 and 10% in Joburg, actually. Yes. They may get between 6 and 7% um, in, in Egurodeni. And may be a very big player in coalition formation, yeah. you know. And if you look at how Herman Mashaba as an individual, uh, a member of the DA, uh, basically broke ranks with the DA when it came to how he, he, he was prepared to manage the coalition in, in Johannesburg. I think that he, he built a lot of trust and political capital during that period. Political capital that might benefit him when Action SA starts negotiating coalition arrangements in Eguruleni and uh, Johannesburg.